Thank you for joining me for this first episode of Hymns of Truth podcast. My name is James Huffman. I'm a teaching elder at Emmanuel Baptist Church here in Mineral, Virginia. Uh, Hymns of Truth podcast is part of uh, one of three podcasts in the Emmanuel Baptist Church podcast network. Of course, we have Portions of Truth led by our lead pastor, uh, Michael Huffman, and then, of course, our uh, Divine Truth podcast. That's the podcast of our sermon series uh actually here at emmanuel baptist church uh this podcast however is inspired by um part of my uh pastoral ministry at the church is to uh, lead the congregation here at emmanuel in congregational worship through music and so music is a passion of mine and i actually view uh leading the church congregationally in music as part of my pastoral ministry here at the church i think leading worship is a pastoral function being that really the the pastor of the church is um, really the worship leader of the church as he directs the church uh, in the word of God and in the truths of God and all the rest. So it's part of the pastoral function. So uh, we really do take musical worship seriously here at Emmanuel, and that's where this podcast was inspired and the desire to do this podcast uh, was inspired from. Now, this podcast will be particularly and mostly um, having to do with particular hymns, the history of those hymns, and all the rest, and we want to delve into uh, the history of hymns, the the meaning of hymns, the doctrine and theology behind particular hymns. That's what the, the main... Uh, uh, stretch of this and breadth of this podcast will be. But I thought for this particular first episode that it would be good and important to kind of discuss congregational worship through music and singing, why it's important, why we do it, um, how it ministers to the church. And so uh, we wanted to sp- I wanted to dedicate this first episode, as this will be an episode discussing uh, music and congregational hymns, I wanted this first episode to discuss why those things are important and why we do what we do as far as musical worship. We're going to be looking at a a portion of scripture that we all know very well, Colossians 3.16, on this particular topic of congregational worship. We want to look at that very briefly just to kind of give us a biblical uh, mindset and philosophy of worship. 
And so we want to look at that. But just kind of way of introducing and talking about worship in the life of the church, why it's important. You know, throughout church history, uh, music has played a really, really vital role in the church. And we've seen this, again, as I said, throughout the period of church history, even going back to Christ and the apostles, um, even on the uh, the first uh, ceremony or a commencement ceremony of the Lord's Supper, we, or not ceremony rather, but the first time uh, the Lord's Supper was um, celebrated, we saw that Christ and his disciples uh, ended that period of time after they partook of the elements of the Lord's table. They ended that time by singing hymns. And so from there on, really, the church, and even past that, beyond that, in Old Testament times with the children of Israel, with the psalmist and all the rest, music really throughout uh, redemptive history throughout the life of uh, creation and out throughout the life of the church and God's people. Music has played a vital role in, in the whole span of church history. And so it's very, very important. And I would say that music is a gift from God. It's a common grace. You know, everyone really, uh, you only, you, you, sometimes you get a few oddballs really, but, um, Everyone really loves music. Everyone has a commonality of a love for music. Not all the same kinds of music, but everyone loves music, really. You're hard-pressed to find someone who doesn't have some kind of uh, liking, at least, uh, for music. So music is a common grace. But music goes beyond the realm of common grace, and it goes to the realms of a of a particular grace and a particular gift given by God to His church. When you're talking about the music of the church, uh, the music of God's people, and so uh, we take it very, very seriously. And I think it's important to start off with the foundation of the, really the definition of worship. What is worship? What does it mean to worship God? Uh, and I would say, just kind of as a working definition of what is worship, what does worship mean, I would say to worship God is to offer to Him humble, awe-filled, uh, reverential, and true adoration and praise and exaltation for who He is, His attributes, and for what He's done. And so it's very, very important. I think worship is ascribing to God um, his attributes. So you think of particular attributes of God, think of his sovereignty, his, his love, his grace, his, even his wrath, his, his justice, his holiness. You think of these attributes of God, and uh, when you're worshiping God, you are proclaiming back to him his attributes, thanking him for them, praising him for them worshiping him for them. You are offering off-filled adoration and exaltation for who he is and, again, for what he's done in your life. And Christians have done this, again, throughout church history. And one way in particular that they have done this is in writing music. Now, with this foundation, I want to make just kind of a side comment on this. You know, a lot of the times when you think of worship, um, you'll... uh, hear someone come up to you and they'll ask you, you know, how was the worship at church this morning? And you know immediately that they probably mean um, the music. 
uh, instantly when you think of how was the worship, you think of, you know, how was the music service. And I think that is not a good practice, and I think that's not actually right, actually. I think that um, worship, actually I don't think, I know that worship is the whole um, service on the Lord's day as the people gather uh, in the Lord's house on the Lord's day, the whole experience, for lack of a better term, is and should be worship. It's not that the music is the worship and then everything else is something else entirely. No. From uh, the pastoral prayer to the music to when you celebrate the Lord's table, um, the sermon, Every aspect, to the fellowship of the saints, every aspect of it is and should be worship. Uh, So the music part of the service is not the only part that is true worship. All of it's worship. All of it uh, should be worship. And all of it is a display of worship to the Lord. But I would even say that not only is music not the only form of worship, it's not even the primary form of worship. I think that um, it's an error when we think that uh, the music part of the service is, um, one, the only worship um, in the church service, but also when it, maybe even people might think, actually a lot of people do think, sadly, people pick churches solely for their music service. So really in their mind, they think that the music of the church is the highest bar set. If the music program is bad, then we're going to pass that church. If the music program is good, then we'll go to that church. I think that's a wrong view. Because not only is the music, again, not the only means of worship, it's not even the primary. The primary means and the primary form and outlet for worship is the preached word of God. As the pastor comes to uh, the pulpit, opens God's word, and rightly exposits it to his congregation, that is uh, the highest pinnacle of worship in the Lord's Day service. Now, I agree right along with Martin Luther when he says that under the preached word of God, he gives music the highest praise. I agree with Martin Luther in that sense. I think that apart from God's word, the music part of the Lord's Day gathering is second only to that, the preached word. It is the second pinnacle. It's the second highest peak. It is uh, um, right under the preached word as level of importance and as level of um, uh, the true experience of worship and what you're doing. Because again, you're ascribing to God his attributes. So second only to the preached word of God, I think we put music in that category. And that's why we're doing this podcast. That's why I think it's important for us to do this podcast. And that's why we take music here at Emmanuel, and I pray and hope that you do at your um, church. We take music Uh, musical worship very, very seriously. Um, As I've said, um, it has been throughout church history that music has been a part of uh, the gathered uh, people of God. And um, one period of time in church history that I just want to briefly mention that it was really just such a game-changing, life-changing aspect of worship is during the time of the Reformation. 
So the time before the Reformation was a period known as the Dark Ages. Uh, many of you probably know that. And this was a time that through tradition and that through empty religiosity and through church hierarchy and all the rest, uh, people were blinded to the glories of the gospel. And many uh, worship church services were cold and dead. And a big reason for this is because the people singing, the people worshiping, quote-unquote, were dead. Um, through, again, through tradition and the church and the church hierarchy and all the rest, the light of the gospel, the true saving gospel, was hidden from so many of thousands of people. And so because the light of the gospel was hidden, the light of true worship was hidden. And so this was a period in time when the church services were dark. Actually, the church services weren't even in the language of the people. The church services were in Latin, which was not a common language. It was a language that barely anyone knew, and so therefore, the people attending the service were really uh, deaf, dumb, and blind spectators to the worship service. They couldn't participate. They couldn't understand. They couldn't partake in what they were doing. They were merely um, spectators of that which they didn't understand what was going on. And this was not how God intended his church to be. That was not worship uh, in any form, whether it would be in the sermon, whether it be in the songs or anything. And actually the songs at this time, because the life of the church was so dead, the songs were dead. It sounded more like a funeral than a church services. The worship songs were more uh, chants and Gregorian chants, dark things that you would hear at, really at morning uh, services and ceremonies rather than at church. And so this was a, a, a period of darkness in the church, hence the name Dark Ages. But with the Reformation and with Martin Luther's uh, gospel um, awakening um, at the time of the Reformation, so much changed. Um, but a huge thing that changed was the musical worship. Why is that? Um, why with the recovery of the gospel at the time of the Reformation for so many people, why did it um, just revolutionize the worship? Well, of course, the first and foremost reason is that people were genuinely converted. People genuine knew, genuinely knew the true gospel and therefore were being genuinely converted. And therefore, their hearts were changed, their minds were changed, their mouths were filled with song because they were truly converted. Beforehand, uh, dead hearts were singing dead songs because no one was even born again. They had no uh, mindset or capacity to truly worship. But when the gospel was recovered for these people, um, their hearts were changed, their lives were changed, and that produced in them true songs of God's saving grace. So we praise the Lord for that legacy of the Reformation and how it really revolutionized much worship. Even Martin Luther himself, uh, one of the chiefest reformers at that time, was active in writing hymns, active in writing psalms for the church to sing. He would he would uh, do psalms. He would do hymns. Uh, one of those uh, one of his mostly known uh, songs that he produced was "A Mighty Fortress Is Our God." Almighty fortress is our God. song was based off of um, Psalm 46, and that song has survived even to this day. 
And so, but he produced uh, many more songs than that, but that's probably his most commonly known one, and we love that song here at Emmanuel. And so, even Martin Luther himself saw the importance of uh, congregational singing and the importance of music. Again, as I said, he said second only to the Word of God, that, that he would give music the highest praise. And so, again, all throughout church history, we have um, thousands and thousands of years of Christians, the people of God, actively involved in praising God through music, even from David the psalmist to men uh, like Isaac Watts, Charles Wesley, ladies like Fanny Crosby, um, John Newton, Martin Luther, as we've mentioned, uh, men like Horatio Spafford, who wrote It As Well. our own day, like Keith Getty and Bob Coughlin and Matt Boswell and all the rest, these men and women of the faith who have been gifted by God in such great and artistic ways to put the truths of the Word of God, the doctrine of the Word of God, in beautiful melody and beautiful uh, rhyme and harmony and produce great songs that we can take to um, worship God with. And we praise God for that. And this is something that God takes very seriously. As I said, music is a gift from God. Music came from God. Um, I think of particular hymns that I love. Um, I tell the church, and I joke around all the time with our church here at Emmanuel, that uh, Be Thou My Vision is when I tell them to turn to the page number, I don't say Be Thou My Vision. I say that turn to the greatest hymn ever written. It's my favorite hymn, and it's not really a, a strongly doctrinal hymn. It's more of a, um, a devotional hymn. that is um, really a conversation between uh, the Christian and the Lord, uh, a, a conversation asking and pleading with the Lord to be that which guides, be that which leads me in my life. That would be my favorite classic hymn. Uh, my favorite modern hymn would probably be His Robes for Mine. I cling to Christ and marvel at the cost. Jesus Chris Anderson, I believe it was written in 2008, so it's relatively modern, but it's a phenomenal hymn. It's a hymn that in every word you you hear the gospel, and so we praise the Lord that uh, both in church history and um, even to our present day, men and women have been gifted by God to write these great songs of worship, and as I said, just kind of by way of long introduction, just to go over this passage briefly with you, uh, just to have a biblical philosophy and a biblical mindset of why it is that we worship God through song, and the fact that we are mandated in Scripture to worship in song. 
So, of course, as I said, we were looking at Colossians 3.16, and we're not going to go into it in depth just to give you kind of a, um, a why we do what we do. So Paul opens up that passage of Scripture by saying, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And you need to stop and think about that particular phrase, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, because it's in that phrase that Paul gives us the, the foundation of any and all true worship, the word of Christ dwelling in us richly. That, uh, that word of Christ there in our text uh, refers to the word that Christ brought, which is the gospel, which is scripture. This is the message. This is the revelation that Christ brought to earth. It was his gospel. It was his scripture. And the word dwell there in the text, if you, if you translate that from the Greek, it is a word that means to live in or to be at home at. So we learn just from that opening phrase of that verse that Paul says, we are to let the word of Christ, the gospel, the truths of scripture, to, they are to be at home in us. They are to live in us. They are to dwell in us. You think of the, the, the psalmist when he says that your word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. It is to be at home in every Christian. And that's the foundation of true worship. And if that foundation is not there, true worship is impossible. And I say that only because um, worship, quote-unquote, without theology and doctrine is not true worship. Kind of a coined phrase that I like and that um, I say sometimes is that that doxology without theology is idolatry. Meaning that if your praise, if your worship is not driven and informed by right theology, you're not doing true praise because you need to know the God to whom you're praising. How can you praise someone that you don't know? If you, if you say you're worshiping and praising God, but yet you don't know him very well, you, you may be worshiping someone, but you're not worshiping the God of the Bible because you don't know who he is. You need to know the God of the Bible in order to rightfully worship him. John MacArthur puts it this way. I think he puts it well. He says something to the effect of, you can only go as high in worship as you can go deep in theology. So the deeper you know about God, the truths of God, God's word, the truths of the gospel, the deeper you go into that, the higher you can go in worship. So that's our foundation. The word of God needs to richly dwell, live in, be at home in us. It's to be the permanent resident of the Christian. Um, The word richly there in the text could be translated abundantly or extravagantly. The word of God is to live in the Christian in an abundant way. You think of uh, Spurgeon when he says that you are to visit many books, but you are to live in the Bible. So the Bible is to live in you, and you are to live in the Bible, is the scriptural mandate. That's the foundation uh, for all true worship. And if that foundation isn't there, if a Christian does not have a vibrant relationship to the word of God, you're going to have a weak life in worship. So if you if you notice um, at your times of worship through song, particularly because that's what this podcast is about, is lacking. If the songs you sing seem to seem to say nothing to you or mean nothing to you, and you're just kind of finding yourself muttering through the words, maybe it might be a good check to ask yourself, how is my relationship with the Word of God? Because if the relationship with the Word of God isn't there, you're not going to have a true worship life. That needs to, and it must be there. And so we learn from that text that that has to be the foundation, but we also learn from the text that it produces 
things. It produces things in the life of the Christian. And as Paul said in Colossians 3.16, it produces psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And so we want to think of those three things as actual three different units. Three different units. Paul mentions three specific and different classifications of music. The first one is psalms. You know, sadly, in many traditions in the church nowadays, psalm singing has gone from either practically non-existent to altogether non-existent. Um, In many traditions, it has just completely been wiped away with, and I think that is to our great shame. I think... Not, I think when Paul said this, he's not um, suggesting this is a command. We are to sing psalms. The reason the psalms were written in the first place were to be the worship of the people of God, of Israel. These were actual musical units put to music for the people of God to sing. That's why they were written. And that, that hasn't changed. That hasn't shifted. We are to sing the psalms. One reason that we sing the Psalms, I believe John Calvin said, one reason that we uh, sing, sing the Psalms and why it's important to sing the Psalms is that while you are singing songs, you are memorizing Scripture. So think of it this way. Think of how many songs you can right now say from heart or sing from heart. Probably hundreds of songs. Probably songs that you heard 30 years ago. And you can still sing them from heart. You've memorized them. You've, they, they have sunk into you because they are put to maybe a catchy melody or a catchy tune. And so that makes it easier for the words to come naturally to you. And you just memorize it. Well, think of that in comparison to how, many, how much scripture we've memorized. And when you think of it and you take an honest assessment of that, I think we would find our song memorization to our scripture memorization to be... Uh, a very sad comparison. We probably know a lot more songs than we do Bible verses. But I think John Calvin was right. So what do we do to remedy that? Well, a good way to do that is not only to read your Bible daily and to memorize it, but also to put the truths of God's Word to songs, to put it to melody, because it makes it easier, more compact in a way that we can memorize it and put it to heart, and that's so very important. So we're just seeing the Psalms. And then... We're to sing hymns, and John MacArthur, uh, in his uh, study Bible that he has, uh, says that perhaps songs of praise distinguished from the Psalms, which exalted God, and that they focused on the Lord Jesus Christ. So nowadays, we, as New Testament believers, with the full revelation of the light of the gospel, Christ having come, we put Christ... Uh, specifically in the Psalms now. Of course, David was looking to Christ, and he knew of Christ, but it was still dim. It was still in a distance. He still didn't have the full revelation of Christ. But now we as New Testament believers do put Christ in these Psalms and all of his glory having the full revelation. But hymns are distinct from Psalms in that they particularly focus on the person and work of Christ and what he has done. So we're to sing Psalms, we're to sing hymns, but we're also to sing uh, spiritual songs. And John MacArthur uh, says that these are perhaps songs of personal testimony. So these are more personal, God has worked in my life these way. A good illustration of that is the beautiful song Day by Day. Um, of course, uh, so many um, 
are like that day by day. It is well. Let's actually focus on it as well. It as well was written after a man lost his children um, to a shipwreck. Um, Horatio Spafford and his family were traveling to go to a uh, a gathering that uh, an evangelistic gathering for D.L. Moody, and as they were traveling, uh, Horatio Spafford went ahead of them, and then as his wife and children were traveling up uh, to meet with him. Uh, their ship wrecked, and, oh, forgive me, actually, his wife and children went ahead, and uh, he followed after, I think he had some business where he was, and he followed after them, and his children, as they were going on there, their their ship shipwrecked, and his children were lost, and uh, his wife wrote back to him, uh, as we all very well know, and wrote back to him and said, saved alone, and as they were traveling up Horatio Spafford wrote the beloved hymn it is well with my soul that's a good illustration of of course we know that as a hymn but that's actually a good illustration of what the scripture would identify as a spiritual song because it's a song of personal testimony to what the Lord has done in our lives and so musical worship is very very important it's a gift from God and it actually It is something that is produced by God in the life of the Christian. As the word of Christ dwells in you, you can't help but sing. The truths of Scripture produces songs. God gives us a song in our heart. As we rightly understand Him, as we rightly understand His truth, as we rightly understand His word, as we get a deeper grasp of the gospel, It produces in us, and it can't help but produce in us music, songs, songs of praise. That's why it's so heartbreaking when you see in in so many churches people just standing and not saying a word as the rest of the church sings. You know, it kind of almost makes you think of what is going on in their heart if they can't sing praises to God. We are to sing because we have so much to sing about. When you think of the gospel, when you think of all that Christ has done for us to redeem us and to deliver us from the wrath of God, how can we not but sing of all that he has done for us? So we have a true reason for singing, and our true foundation for worship is God's word as it indwells in us and as it produces in us songs. And I hope and pray that as you go to the Lord's house on the Lord's day, your heart is full of with the truths of God, with the truths of the gospel, with the truths of God's word, and that it produces in you heartfelt, true worship and songs as you praise God for all that he's done for you in the person of Christ. I do hope you've enjoyed this uh, first episode of Hymns of Truth. I hope it's been an encouragement to you, and I hope it has truly laid the foundation for why it is we worship, what we do in worship and uh, the biblical mandate for worship, and particularly worship through songs. Songs are not um, uh, mere things that everyone enjoys. It is that, but it's not only that. It is a particular means of worshiping God. God has uh, specially chosen music as one form of worship, and I hope that you take that very, very seriously. And so, in our next episodes following, we will be uh, examining particular hymns, the history of those hymns, the doctrinal meaning behind those hymns, and I hope that those bless you too. I do plan on having a guest on this uh, 
podcast. Uh, of course, I'll have our teaching pastor, Michael Huffman, um, on particular podcasts. I'll even have um, our uh, media director here at the church, Zachary Huffman. He's very... Um, very an avid uh, lover of hymns and he's very passionate about uh, worship and so and I plan on having uh, more guests as well but I hope that you do have enjoyed that you have enjoyed this episode and that you will uh, stay tuned for more to come God bless you as you worship him in the Lord's house <laughs>